Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars, a series in which we take a deep dive into the Dungeon Master's guides written for the previous editions of our favorite game. We aim to discuss what worked, what didn't work, what got pulled into future editions, and what got left by the side of the road. And on the seventh day of Edition Wars, uh, my GM gave to me seven swans uh, swimming. And also the DMG 2 of third edition, which I can't make fit with the seven schema very easily, um, seeing as it has a lot of chapters. It, it has, does. Oh, it has seven, oh, it has seven chapters. chapters. That's nice. <laughs> give, me, give me seven chapters swimming. Just pretend I said that originally. Okay. Yeah. That, that works for me. I am totally okay with that. Thanks audience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they're on board. I'm sure they're on board. So uh, I'm going to start by just talking about the back cover of this book. Which promises oh, to. Oh, that's funny because I was going to start talking about the front cover. So, <laughs> okay. yes, let's talk okay. about the back cover. So, so, the back cover says, take your game to a new level. And all I can say to that is, no, that's a different book. <laughs> you published that in 2002. It's the Epic Level Handbook. <laughs> that's the one that okay. takes your game to a new level. Let's mm-hmm. not mess around. Uh, but, this, this, is, this book is three years later, published mm-hmm. in June of 2005. Yeah. So here's why I was going to mention the front cover, because the front cover... So recall, dear listener, that the third edition Dungeons & Dragons covers of the three core books were meant to look like tomes. And the initial, you know, the, the, the three core books were, I think the, the player's handbook was brown and it looked like it had like a leather cover with some jewels encrusted and whatnot. The 3.5 edition made it even more, you know, fancy, but it was still didn't have an image on it. It was just meant to look like a book cover. And the monster manual had like scales or something, but it looked like it was a book made out of the scales, right? The leather scales of a creature or something. And then the DM's guide was like blue and it had like a buckle on it or something. And then the 3.5 DM's guide had like a world in the center of it, but it was still a blue covered book, right? So no real images, just book. The DMG2 has an ifrit on it. And the reason that I'm calling that out is because it is a callback to the initial Dungeon Master's Guide, which has an enormous ifrit on it. And I find that interesting because they didn't make the core books have any kind of image on the front. So it's kind of interesting that they did the homage here rather than on the core books. Yeah, and the other, like, splat books and such, your Complete Warrior and Complete Arcane and Mm -hmm. the rest of that business, uh, all sort of imitates this style of, Mm -hmm. hey, there's an image in the square instead of, you know, uh, incredible facsimile of a book, but right. uh, but yeah, right. uh, this one is definitely that's that's a very specific look back. Mm-hmm. And and you're right; it still looks like a book cover. It has like hinges and you know whatever yeah. decorated corners and all that. But yeah, v- very interesting. I I I, I like I I like that cover. So anyway, so anyway. So there's a lot to cover in this book, Sam. We're going to have to mm-hmm. exercise self-restraint. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, are you serious? <laughs> uh, I, I don't see this happening anytime <laughs> soon, buddy. I'm sorry to break it to you, but uh, this is episode seven, but it's hour 12. Okay. So 
<laughs> or something like that. Sure. It might be hour 13. I don't actually know. Um, but uh, – The 19th year of Christmas, folks, in yes. 2020, like <laughs> to 12 be fair, days could be 15 yeah. days. It could be right. six months. You don't know. Thank goodness the 12 days of Christmas didn't come in March because March was like 300 days long. What this was, it's March, Sam. Yeah, I, I, I know, but I still can't wrap my head around Man. it. So I'm, tr- I'm trying like hell to believe that it's actually December. It snowed yesterday. It's, it snows in March where you are. I know, I know, I know. It's horrible. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, so first chapter. So, so he, oh, actually, I do. I do want to mention the authors of this book, the designers. Yeah, yeah. credited as designers, Jesse Decker. Okay, heavily involved in the Dragon Magazine. Okay, mm-hmm. yep. Da- Dave Noonan, all by this time already a well healed designer. Yep. Chris Thomason, also Dragon Magazine person. James Jacobs. Okay, I mean, is there anything he didn't do in D anD? d And Robin Laws. Yeah. Uh, Robin Laws, notably, is going to get uh, uh, definitely called back in for the uh, fourth edition DMG2. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't have it in front of me to see uh, how much the rest of that uh, uh, rogues gallery will show up accredited for the DMG2 uh, fourth edition. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't remember. Um, the development team on this book is Bruce Cordell. Yep. One of my favorite designers, uh, Andy Collins and Steven Schubert. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is like a powerhouse team. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. De- definitely in this era of D&D, it's mm-hmm. very, very powerhouse. Um, my wonderful, wonderful wife has done me the favor of bringing me the fourth edition DMG2. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, Robin Laws is the only overlap in design. Um, mm-hmm. Then um, Andy Collins and uh, Stephen Schubert are the only uh, are, are over are additional design overlap, mm-hmm. and then you've got Stephen Schubert in development, Andy Collins in development, and yeah. uh, Stephen Radley McFarland as uh, the the last credited uh, developer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, you're you're talking about a lot of D and D expertise on this book. That is the truth. That is the truth. So, so what is this book, Sam? This book is a toolkit of advice for a DM. It talks about the things you should think about when you run a game in chapter one. It talks about adventures, how to pace them, how to design them, how to integrate miniatures. Uh, It talks about, in chapter two, it talks about, uh, in chapter three, the campaign. Again, how to design it, how to uh, think about it, if you want to, uh, the different considerations that you might have, like if you want to restrict to the race and class choices for your players. Uh, And then it talks about things like uh, world building type things like what does it mean to be in a medieval society and what kind of establishments would be in a town there in a typical town and how do you build a typical town and you know what kind of events will occur in that town and then it actually in chapter four presents you with a worked example of a town it's a town we've all know and love salt marsh which was uh in 
Adventure Module U1, The Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh, which was made for first edition Dungeons & Dragons way back in probably 1980, 1981, something like that. And they statted it up for third edition, and they used their sort of world-building guidelines, their city-building guidelines, and they made that an entire chapter to give the DM a worked example, and including a map. And then there's a chapter on how to produce good NPCs. And then there is a chapter on some different character uh options nothing major there uh that's kind of the one chapter that i didn't find all that interesting um although it does talk about things like students and masters and training and things like that and then there's a few prestige classes there is a really nice piece on organizations um and then there's an entire chapter on magic items okay we're done i think this was the shortest episode this book is great go buy it and read it yeah, all right congratulations <laughs> our ratings you have thanked yes yeah, so- <laughs> Uh, but seriously, though, I mean, in other words, you know, the things that I mentioned are all very sort of broad concepts that are used by DMs to prep their games, their campaigns, their adventures, their scenarios, their sessions. And all of that is in here. I mean, there's there's some real nitty gritty, really awesome tools in here. And then there's some you know, this is probably the least rules heavy book that we have talked about so far in this 12 days of edition wars, not that there aren't any rules in it or not that there aren't stats in it or whatever, but it's more focused on the philosophy of DMing and how to use the things that you know and can learn to make a better game for you and your players. Yeah, for sure. Um, As you say, there are some mechanics here um, and there's a lot of like very small tables uh, mm-hmm. that are you know, modifiers to this or that uh, because that's how we do things in third ed. Um, right. It, you know, it, it is a lot more similar to some of the, uh, the, the blue covered spot books from um, second ed mm-hmm. um, uh, creative campaigning and books like that, that, uh, right. that I, I loved. And, you know, we talked about trying to cover in this series, but, Boy, did it not happen! Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know who it was that thought we'd be able to cover books briefly, but that guy was an idiot. So, uh, so chapter one, so chapter running one. a game. So, so right, this is, this is or is intended to be, and you know, uh, opinions vary. I mean, not that I hear and trash this book, but you know, no one right. agrees. You never get anyone ever to agree on anything. Um, this is that just ease people into the actual job of DMing and what it really means and feels like chapter that we've been talking about needing uh, in every edition. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Um, it's, it's a thing that Gygax is trying to do in his way that is so elliptical that it doesn't really achieve it. Right. And that I would argue that Zeb Cook hits a little better, but only a little. Because uh, it, he too is sort of stuck in knowing how to do it, but not necessarily remembering what the questions of a starting GM are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll grant you that one. That that's that's a, probably a pretty reasonable evaluation of that. So, but what do you think about this chapter, though? You think this accomplishes enough? So, so I think that even just the the first couple of pages are a really good um, you know, 
bit of essay writing on describing the the goals and sort of sub goals of GMing. Um, you know, keeping fun as your your core priority. Yes. Okay. Important. Secondary priorities. Everything else is secondary. Mm-hmm. Is the good note there? Um, and you know, uh, describing uh, maintaining authority as sort of at least visually the lowest ranked of the uh, secondary priorities. That's mm-hmm. that's appropriate. Um, right. And then uh, there's a, the great chin up sidebar that is the, the pep talk that mm-hmm. every starting DM needs, right. and quite a few more experienced gyms find that they need just because mm-hmm. reasons, you know, you're having a bad day or maybe last session didn't go off the way you had so fervently hoped. Well, you know, that's, that's my thing, right. That I always say that not every session can be the best, most awesome session ever, because if that was the case, you're quickly going to hit a ceiling and, and it's impossible to make every session the, the best, most awesome session you've ever had, unless you start at such a low bar. <laughs> That those sessions that you're calling the best ever yet are really actually suck, right? Well, <laughs> I just assume that people will slowly forget how great the previous session was. And so it'll be a little <laughs> bit easier to top that this time. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, like, it, everybody's going to have a not perfect session, and that's just how it goes. And even I had, well, I think, a, heck, I was talking to you a couple months ago about this when we were recording one of these episodes. Not one of these, but one of our other ones. And saying, man, I had, you know, my game, I just didn't, it wasn't a great game. Like, it was fine. It was okay. Just didn't go off the way I wanted. And it didn't have the effect that I wanted. And there was something missing with it. And, you know, I had to analyze that. And and I, I needed that chin-up talk. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's just, that's how it goes. And then it moves on to play styles. Right. It doesn't um, have a huge write-up about play styles. Well... I mean, once you get into player traits and incentives, I mean, this is very much recapitulating um, uh, Robin's laws of mm-hmm. uh, good game mastering. And so I will very casually assume that uh, Robin wrote a lot of this. Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> that's funny. I, I, there were certain parts of this book when I was like, oh, yeah, that's Robin Laws. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, which and, is not – that's not a derogatory comment, by oh, the way. That's oh, a, no. Yeah. Um, there's some very good sidebars on just, this is a problem character that a lot of people seem to like to play. Maybe mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. So the, there is one thing that I do appreciate about this this area here, this post-game analysis. Yeah. Um, and not because it's written so well and it blew my mind because I'd never thought about it before, but this is the type of thing where – this is exactly what a DM, a new DM needs to start to do. Yeah. And I mean, you know, experienced DMs can do it too, but if you don't know that this is something that you can do and, and that you can use to help you, then this could be a revelation, right? But basically it's just the idea of at the end of the session, after everybody has gone and when you're at home by, by yourself now, uh, sit down and literally make a little list of the highlights of the session and who the key players were and what was the payoff. Yeah. And you don't have to write, it's not extensive, you know, write a giant session report or, you know, explain everything in great detail and spend 12 hours writing a a dissertation on it. It's more about making you focus 
your ideas about what happened. And that's going to be able to lead you to, you know, what kinds of, you know, if you do this three or four sessions in a row, you're going to see, okay, well, what things were the biggest highlights of each session? And if you see recurring themes, now you can start molding your sessions towards those areas that the players enjoy the most. Yeah. And so that's a great tool and and it's spelled out with an example. And I really like that when they give an example, because sometimes, you know, I mean, anybody can write a couple of paragraphs suggesting something, but then if you don't give an example in a book like this, then, you know, what are you writing in this book for? So for sure, for sure. Yeah. Like a lot of um, gaming writing has, I think, trended away from, you know, the for example comma paragraph or mm-hmm. page right. whatever yeah. uh this is not the book for that right uh, right and then the, just to finish this out it also has you do a weak point chart right so it's yep. not just what are the best things that happened but also what could you maybe improve on next time right yeah. and not that it's always the dm's fault but just as a you know, it really does fall on the DM's shoulders to try to help steer the whole group. And even if the issue is not really the DM's issue, being able to recognize that there was a problem will help you maybe cut it off at the pass a little sooner next time. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that I see here is that uh, this is suggesting the GM just in their own mind come up with what the player's feedback would be were they to write it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't say, ask your players for feedback. Uh, it says, observe your players and think about what you think they f- mm-hmm. think about something right. yeah. based on their their visible level of engagement. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, it's good to pour as much thought into that as you can. It's better to ask. Um, I agree to a point. Well, so I agree with that basic statement. It is better to ask. And I wish that they had said in here, you know, you should ask for feedback and specific feedback, right? There's a way to add. You don't just say, hey, did everybody have fun, right? Because right. in general, nobody's going to tell you, no, I didn't really have fun. If they had a little bit of fun at right. one time in the session, they're going to tell you, yeah, I had fun. Right. Um, so you got to ask more specific, maybe more pointed questions. But the reason I like this, despite the fact that it doesn't say ask the players, is a new DM doesn't know how to ask those pointed questions, maybe. Doesn't know how to ask it without offending someone or putting somebody on the spot or or uh, trying or 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 in a way that makes it seem like they're just trying to get accolades, right? Sure, sure. I mean and no no feedback tool is going to be right for every group. Um, I'm just sort of thinking about the fact that I have players who observing them is not going to tell me what they thought about something. Sure. Their poker face is better than my <laughs> insight check. <laughs> right. Um, right. And this is a lot of my players actually. Like, right. Some of them I, I can tell what they thought and I can like draw energy from that it, as, I, as I work as a GM mm-hmm. and some of them I can't. And so, like, this tool does not work for me in, in my own experience of gaming. Um, and, and so that's, not, that's why it's jumping out. Not now, of though, right? Not now. But I guess I, for me, I'm looking at it as a tool for a new DM that maybe the new DM has not 
thought about. No, no, that, that's that's fine. Uh, it's just I'm, uh, I'm I'm just seeing like this is a tool that works for some groups and not others, specifically because um, some players don't register their feedback, mm-hmm. like especially clearly with body language and you know visual and visible engagement. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and once again, I wish that it went one step further and said, "Hey, you know, at the beginning of next session, why don't you discuss this with your players?" Yep. Right? Or during the food break, if you if you take a break in the middle of the session next time because you don't want to start off the session talking about it maybe, maybe you want to get the game going, but maybe in the middle of the session you bring this up when everybody's just eating and you're not actually playing. Yeah. Right, or whatever, like yeah. like they could give uh, some little advice like that that would make it so that now the DM starts to integrate the players in this feedback cycle, right? Yeah. But that's why I say this 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 area needs a little more yeah, a little more advice. Yeah, I agree with that. So moving forward a bit, um, uh, you know, I really do like uh, some of the takes on things like um, establishing ground rules and house rules and. Uh, what sort of the modes of play are going to be, whether there's high secrecy between players or no secrecy between players or what have you. Um, Those can both be really effective. Um, Both kind of the dramatic irony mode where there's no secrecy between players and, um, you know, they help you get up to kind of shenanigans that their characters don't know about or whatever. (laughs) Right. And the version where you know there's maybe some actual tension that you you try to draw some lines around between well these players could be, could betray one another in in game well that mm-hmm. can work and re- be really fun right. you need to manage the bleed there there's probably right. going to be some bleed and you need to manage it <laughs> if you don't know what bleed is it's that feeling when you take an emotion across the in play out of play line in either direction. Right. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, we in my in my rhyme of the frost maiden game, we uh, we had a pretty intense scene at the end of uh, the third session where the, there was a lot of player tension and and antagonism is probably too strong a word, but it was it was totally in character, and it was like these players are in character fighting with each other. And so at the end of the session, me and one of the other players were kind of like, okay, uh, just to check in, is everybody okay? Like, are we, is everybody, you know, like there's no, there's no residual issue here, right? That was completely in character. And I knew what the answer was, but I still had to check in. Oh, for sure. Because I've known these players for a while and I know that they, they can do that in character and they really are just playing their character. Um, and they know each other well enough that they trust each other to do that sort of thing. So it's, it's not an issue, but there's still a check-in. Yeah, that's, that's really good. That's really good. So in any case, <laughs> this isn't about, let's talk about Sam's game chapter. Um, what else about chapter one here? Uh, the top 10 ways to ruin your game sidebar is uh, are always a good time. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I did read that oh, when I was flipping through earlier. Oh, I, I, you know, uh, 
until you get to the second sentence, I feel a little called out by number one on that list, which is a bad place to be. But DM in a style geared exclusively to your own personal tastes, as if you were running a one-on-one game for yourself. Okay, I don't come here to be attacked like this. Oh, oh, oh. So it says, create an intellectual ideology explaining why your way is the only way to play. Well, I can probably let myself off the hook for that one. Sort of? You know what? My players listen to this. They'll tell me if I'm wrong. It's fine. Scream its finer points at your players as they head out the door to find the new DM. (laughs) Screw you, book. You don't know my life. Yeah. (laughs) And then here's, here's, um, you know, number three is actually really pertinent to what I was just talking about, about the beginning of the chapter. And that is in a naked bid for attention, demand that the players participate in detailed after session dissections of your gaming style, even though they seem relatively happy with the game as is right. Like, don't uh, do that. <laughs> yeah. Don't you? do that. But you do need a way to have clear channels of communication. Absolutely. But, and that's the thing is that these 10 ways to ruin your game are meant to be sort of exaggerated, bombastic versions of stuff that you should be doing a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, so yeah, some of the sidebars in this chapter are quite, are quite entertaining. Uh, There's one on laptops, (laughs) which, you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) wow. (laughs) <laughs> wow, this book is extremely 15 years old right now. Yes, it is. <laughs> In the category of things that do not age well. Um. <laughs> I mean, at this point, um, about half my players have a laptop at the table, uh, mm-hmm. and that's just their character sheet. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a laptop or a tablet, right? Yep, yep. And that's just totally normal, no problem. Right. Why are we talking about Well, it's just, you know, and we can forgive them this because, you know, uh, how could the designers of a role-playing game be able to predict the future and know that, you know, 15 years later, there's going to be a situation where it's just accepted that everybody has a device in their freaking pocket? Okay. In all fairness, some of the writers of this book are literally science fiction authors. Yes, but you, but you don't write the book based on you don't write a book like this based on an assumption that could happen, right? Of something well, that could happen well, fifteen well, years down the road. Design has to be future proofed. Why can't design commentary be future proofed? You don't think so? <sighs> I, I, you know, <laughs> if I could get in my time machine, I would go back and warn them, uh, but I cannot. Yeah, that's your first stop with a time machine. Fair enough. Yeah, Fair right. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it has this nice sidebar about uh, sample descriptions of moves and sample quips and battle cries, which I find <laughs> oh. entertaining, these things. Yeah, uh, certainly the, the quips and battle cries is <laughs> really hitting me hard as someone who used to work in video game design mm-hmm. as a writer. Because right. mm-hmm. as a writer in video game design, the main thing you write is barks. Right. <laughs> This is, yeah. yeah. Like, don't get me wrong; these are fine. They're good. Whatever. <laughs> Though poltroon is not to be used in most circumstances. Yes, I know. Well, I found I found these hilarious. Like, uh, you've thwarted me for the last time, do-gooders. <laughs> 
and then one of them is die and then the next one is die i told you die (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i mean it's just it's it's just it's just hilarious um but yes i i i get your i get your uh your queasiness because of the (laughs) Uh, computer games it's trauma it's trauma sam (laughs) trauma sorry (laughs) um well there's just there's a lot of discussion about communicating in a lot of different contexts right mm -hmm. there's just a lot of different ways for people to communicate and that's great um i think that for me um when i first got this book I really struggled to see the text on the page and turn it into practice. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many more people read it that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, part of the problem is that so much of this is experiential, right? Um, reading it doesn't do much. Uh, like for example, uh, I'm looking at a sentence on page 32 it says you should intervene immediately when you hear a player make an argument based on information the character would know to be incorrect. Right? Yeah. Like, like regardless of whether that's true or not, uh, a single sentence on the 32nd page of a dense text yeah. is not going to be remembered yeah. necessarily. Right? But, like it's hit and miss which of these will stick in the person's mind. Right. I think and that's, so, a, that's a really good point. Yeah, so like the so the key here for a book like this is that it's organized in a way that that information is easy to find very soon after the DM has this experience at the table so that they can figure out, well, what's the advice the experts are giving me on how to deal with this? Yep. And I'm I don't know that this book does that very well. I'm not saying it does it poorly, but I don't know if it does it well. Oh, so this gets to what I've been talking about throughout all of the, the 12 days to date, which is uh, sort of that essayist style, mm-hmm. right? How approachable is the text as opposed to being kind of dry? How is it carrying forward the idea and inviting you in? And right. this is the thing that I think, because it was my text that, that I loved so much. This is what I think Zeb Cook does so well, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you know, if it isn't, this is bad. It is that it's a lot. Um, and so I think that maybe there could have been some benefit here to, uh, doing like discrete essays on, on topics rather Mm -hmm. than specific topics, shorter specific topics. Right. Um, with kind of, uh, maybe it's sort of a, a a five paragraph jobby, um, Mm. I just feel like maybe they could carry you through the ideas a little more sharply in places. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, maybe. So so let me give you, as a sort of alternate way to think about this, the very next section on this same page, 32, is what you do away from the table. And it's talking about how to how to prioritize things to prepare – and how long you're spending preparing for a game. And so, you know, if you have an hour to prepare, here's what you do. And it's a bullet pointed list and, with paragraphs, yeah. right? but it's bullet pointed. Yeah. I think and, that's great. I think it's absolutely great. Right. And so that's, that's kind of my point is this feels more like an example that says, Hey, 
if you're wondering how you could possibly get this thing prepared in time, well, if you have this long, here's what you should do. If you have this long, here's what you should do. If you have this long, here, here's how you prioritize, right, based on how much time you have. And it's like a specific example of, look, you should review this. You should select this. You should read this part. And it's a step-by-step instruction manual for what to do to prioritize that. Whereas the very previous little subsection here is, as you're talking about, it's very, um, you know, free form. Hey, let's, let's just talk about this subject and kind of dump this information on you in a very almost conversational way, except it's not a conversation. It's a person reading it who, you know, it's, it's, it's that fine balance between is this an instructional textbook or is this my best friend who's also a great DM giving me advice, right? Like, yep. it's hard to determine those. Yep, I agree with that. Which is almost why, and so not to harp on this, but it's almost why the sidebars draw your eyes, right? Because it's a small chunk of very specific information. Yep. And it accentuates or 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 adds to the text in the regular portion of the of the chapter, but because it's offset and set aside by de, you know by design, it's meant to draw your eye so that you read it. But one of the things that is so good about it is most of them are short, relatively speaking, right? Yep. And little chunks of information are much more easily digested than three page articles, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um. So. Anything else you want to say about chapter one? Well, so so ultimately, I think that the, that the chapter is solid, and it's covering a lot of stuff that uh, new DMs need and refresher courses that uh, more experienced DMs need. But mm-hmm. um, something about the the presentation um, makes it just feel a bit grindy to get through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's uh, on on the writer or the typesetter maybe or or what but it i know i didn't read this in detail uh when i got the book or when mm-hmm. i was checking the book out um at you know my friend of the local game store mm-hmm. uh, or whatever i mean i i find that I, I i tend to agree with your assessment um i the sections of this chapter that have specific advice are much better. For example, the the thing about prep that I talked about a minute ago, yep, and that's the, very the next strong. section follows it is improvisational aids, and it talks about, hey, look, make a list of names that uh, that are appropriate to your setting that you can have on hand for NPCs. Like that's one of the best pieces of advice to give a new DM who hasn't even thought about that sort of thing. Yeah, like, for sure. Have a lot of experience improving, and it's in bold. And there's only two sentences to describe what they're talking about, and then it moves on to the next bolded term. So, you know, it's one of those where okay, these are actionable things, right? right. These are these are actionable things I can do to make this useful. Also, I I really appreciate the stats for spontaneous urban opponents, uh, mm-hmm. like paragraph. I think that right. is incredibly good uh mm-hmm. it, it's who is it um i always forget if it's chandler or, uh hammett that says if you don't know what to do have someone you know run in the room with guns blazing right <laughs> right right yeah. um and like that's that's absolutely great 
uh, mm-hmm. the PCs did something and now they get beat up for it or they beat someone right. up. It's, yes. Like you, you're going to need right. that with no advance warning because it's mm-hmm. just setting responsiveness. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. And you know, one of the things that, uh, that I think DMs need to be taught, uh, and, and this chapter doesn't fully get to is that experience of responsiveness. Right. Um, but maybe we're going to see it in chapter two because that's adventures. Right. Yeah, we might. We might. Um, so let's move on to chapter two then. <laughs> yes, let's. Adventure pacing. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so so the, the three-act structure that it is recommending is um, it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that I play a lot of adventures that can be comfortably um, – broken into three acts in any Mm -hmm. meaningful sense because emergent play doesn't really adhere to an act structure. Which is my exact thought anytime I ever read this advice. And I understand the advice. I understand logically why it's maybe a good skill to be able to uh, place a campaign arc or or something into a three-act structure or each session into a three-act structure. Yeah. Um, and I know it's very popular, and I know why it works in movies and uh, plays, and I know also why it doesn't work <laughs> with yeah. my DMing style. Well, and I still um, prefer a five-act uh, structure analysis, but that's me. Sure, but I, I just mean in terms of – like I understand for beginners it's a great way to introduce the idea of you should have an idea of what what plot element is going to get pressed on or come into play this session. Yeah. And so there needs to be a way to introduce that. That's your beginning in a way where the characters find out about it or how it relates. That's your middle. And then there's got to be something that happens as an end cap to that session so that it doesn't just sort of peter out and not do anything. That's the same thing as a three act structure. It's just a different way of stating it. And I understand the need for that, but I am such a heavy improv GM. I mean, same. My players do things and ask things, and I'm just like, okay, well, let me answer that question. There's no possible way for me to plan that really in a yeah. three act way. I, I can't. It would. I just don't run the game that way. And that's not a dig on that. I think it's actually really good advice if you don't understand how to sit down to try to wrap your head around planning something for the first time. Right. This is a structure that helps helps a person get the pacing down in their head. But just like the advice about writing out the high points and the weaknesses of a particular session, that that doesn't work for every person, neither does this. Yeah. And I feel like this section, while it's well-written, it just doesn't have enough meat in it to, once again, it's, it's a sort of um, – uh, a stream of consciousness. Let me put this information on the paper, and not a "here's how you do this." Right. Uh, I mean, I think that getting to a point of universal advice is no more possible here than it is in any other art form. Sure. Sure. Um, I, I've read plenty about writing, and plenty that does not help me specifically with the <laughs> things that are wrong with my writing, such as my ability to focus. <laughs> anyway, moving along. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so I, I love that there's a big section on using published published adventures mm-hmm. and changing them and uh, fixing things that don't work for your group mm-hmm. and that that kind of thing. Uh, yep, yep. And it even has a list of like you know s- simple fixes and you know here's how to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very good. Then there's a uh, section on traps, which suddenly we're stuck in the. Let's talk about the CR4 dust cloud trap and what the concentration check is and what the fortitude DC right. is. That's and, a you know that's a really hard turn. Yeah, that's a real is. hard turn. Um, yeah, kind of almost feels like it comes out of nowhere. To be honest, I mean, it absolutely does come out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, I love having new traps. This is mm-hmm. good, useful content. It doesn't belong in this chapter because it doesn't follow on the idea that preceded it, but right. it is good, useful content. And mm-hmm. I mean, just like what happened here is layout was like, where do I put this? Right. And they were like, mm-hmm. well, ah, <laughs> uh, there's a section on adventuring. Yes. Let's put it there. <laughs> I mean, best effort, man. What yeah. do you do? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I definitely have, this this like video clip in my head of uh, the book's editors staring at it and being like, okay, we can't cut any of this because it's all <laughs> what we ordered right. from the writers. Yeah, but yeah. something else changed, and so now it doesn't flow. Right. Uh, too dang bad. Peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they could have they could have made a subheading. And put it in a subheading along with the next section, which is archetypal locations. Right, and, and that's that's all to the good. Um, yeah, because it's all, because again, it's it, it's not as uh, stat heavy, but it really is about oh, here's a type of location you might put in your adventure. Here's how to think about it. Right. Yeah. Here's how to put it in there. And and I mean this this is actually great. Um, mm-hmm. Like, here's how to make. Uh, a common location more exciting is just that that's wildly applicable. Right. Sure. Yeah. You absolutely need that. Mm -hmm. And I love that Tasha's is starting to really scratch the surface of that. Mm -hmm. And I don't disagree with that, but what what I'm saying is if they had switched these, if they had put traps after this, right. Or after the special encounter section, right. They could have said, you know, you know, building on the ideas that we just presented in the archetypal locations and in the, you know, specific encounters or encounter examples, you can also spice up, you know, uh, an encounter or a situation or an environment by adding traps. And so here's some new traps, right? Instead of just kind of plopping that six page trap section in the middle of the chapter with no warning. Yeah. So I think that's a formatting issue, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's very fair. But as we said, the section on um, archetypal locations is, mm-hmm. um, it, it has a lot of like bits and bobs, and I think I would be a little bit happier if some of that could be, like, stripped down to the most exciting parts, and we'll just run with that, and not worry right. about like risks and cinematic moments that are more corner case, <laughs> mm-hmm. but. Right. It's great. Uh, having said all that, it's still great. Yeah, I mean, I get what they're going for um, in that section. Yeah, so it's good yeah, for sure. 
I'm happy with it. Um, yeah, they cover really good ground. It's not exhaustive. Nothing could ever be exhaustive, mm-hmm. but it's good ground. Sure. Um, well, because it's packaged in a in a format that makes it very usable, and it's easy to understand what they're going for. Yeah. I mean, you, you sort of only really read the section that you are staring at. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right, right. Which is why I say if they had introduced the trap section a little bit differently, then you could yeah. understand how to apply that new stat block, that new inf- information to the overall story you're trying to tell or the overall thing that you're building, the encounter that you're building or the situation or the uh, terrain or whatever, right? Like it, it seems like they could have presented that a little bit better. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. And I mean, seeing uh, this kind of content, in the DMG two that has so much in common with the uh, additional trap section of Xanathar's and mm-hmm. the uh, like environmental hazards section of Tasha's. Mm-hmm. Well, in case you missed it, folks, those are the DMG expansions you're getting <laughs> right. For, yeah. right. for fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. In other words, there will be no DMG two for fifth edition. Uh, right. And there is a part of me that's always going to think that's a shame because they're in such an, a habit of making their DMG twos. Um, so good. So, so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, like in case we have uh, undersold it, this is a really good book. Yeah, I feel like I'm being very – I sound like probably I'm being very hard on it, but that's because I like it so much. Yeah. Right? Like, this is great, great yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. The majority – the traps are the thing that annoys me the most, but even the traps that are in there are kind of interesting and pretty good. Well, right. And, and, just, and the only whatever. problem is that it doesn't flow in the chapter. As right, problems right. go, exactly. that's right. real low impact. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, for sure. For sure. Uh, and so uh, you have special encounters – uh, things mm-hmm. like the chase and mm-hmm. crowds and mobs, yeah. mobs, yeah, uh, <laughs> which is good, right? Because this is the kind of thing where this is not necessarily—I don't want to say it's not common, right? But it's a common trope to have a pitchfork and torches mob chasing somebody, right? Or right. you know, a mob of zombies chasing somebody, or whatever. Like there's there's all kinds of tropes that include a m- veritable mob, right? Yep. But yet, often in the general rules of of D anD D, it doesn't actually tell you very much about how to deal with that, or give you very many tools or options on how to deal with that. So this is kind of a nice little section, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know the the chase rules um, here. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say that uh, they make me feel really good about the chase rules mm-hmm. of five e. Um, yeah. The, that uh, randomized table of chase events looks really mm-hmm. good, um, mm-hmm. you know, compared to this. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, this these chase rules are some of these uh, are pretty some dense paragraphs of info here. It's like yeah. whoa. Um, yeah, and just yeah. like percentage chances of uh, terrain containing debris that right. I was just looking at the debris section. If you wish, you could provide a chase character with larger piles of debris to spill. For each additional 10-foot square section, the character tries to turn into difficult terrain. The DC of the strength check increases by 5. That's, the character does not need to try to rip o- trip over the entire pile of debris. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, right. not, that's not the best. Um, anyway, um, 
anyway, yeah. So, uh, and then crowds and mobs, uh, and then it gets to miniatures and encounter building. Yep. Uh, which, yeah, it's, it's about using, um, yeah, uh, about whether you use a, a map and a grid and miniatures mm-hmm. and the whole deal. Um, but the discussion of the D and D miniatures war game is especially what. Like I have no uh-huh. idea how this fits into this book. Yeah, it is just the most unrelated thing. I don't. I've never read that whole section at, at a at, at speed. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea why it's here. That's fine. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Well, so in the spirit of giving some odd little section of optional rules, I think that's you know, but whatever. But there's specifically a hardback book for that. Yes, there is. It's I know. It's the miniatures but, handbook. Yes, I know. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, so basically what they're doing is giving a nod to, hey, look, these rules exist, right? And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can't really explain it myself, but, you know. Um, anyway, the, the battle grid terrain section mm-hmm. is much more okay um, as talking about um, – it's really very good practical advice for mm-hmm. map notation on a chess yep. mat or yep. on your um, dry erase tactiles, which right. are great and hard to find these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then you get more encounter tables mm-hmm. for um, all kinds of uh, more exotic areas. That's uh, good to have. Yeah, um, sure. It's fair. It's drilling way down to a level of detail that is a little sure. Okay. Well, see, but this is why I say this is a toolbox. And that's right? super fair. Because I feel like, you know, the first half of chapter two is way different from the second half of chapter two. I feel like that could have been split. They could have put the ch- the first half of chapter two in chapter one, and they could have made chapter two your adventure encounter toolbox. Right. Yeah. And that, and that would solve the problem of exactly what you're talking about. Cause you wouldn't look at it and say, well, why the hell is this in here? Right. You yep. just say, Oh, okay. So I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to make a toolbox. You still might think it shouldn't be there or maybe it should be in an appendix or something, but sure. at least it's in a well labeled area that, you know, you can just breeze through. That's super fair. And then we get to chapter three, chapter three campaigns the campaign not just campaigns the campaign uh recruiting new players one of the most talked about (laughs) problems (laughs) that people have uh maybe not not now in fifth edition but how there's not a section on recruiting new dms i couldn't tell you right right i know i know it uh but um yeah so uh finding players structuring your you know, it, it provides various different campaign types, right? Do you run it episodic? Do you have heavy continuity? Um, those are the only two options here, looks like. Yeah. Eh, they could have done that better, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, so then it goes into the campaign concept oh, section. I, I definitely would have liked to have seen a more, like some nod to uh, troop-style play. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so you've got episodic, you could have troop style, you could have a finite term campaign, right? Yep. Uh, One type of arc levels one through six. Yep. Right. 
you know, just just presenting or only presenting ep- specifically episodic campaigns or continuity. So continuity campaign is where um, the it's basically your traditional campaign where the story follows on from the last session and keeps going and and then it has a natural end. But it doesn't really talk about you know do you set a specific time for the end? You know, things like that. So, um, yeah, it, it feels like this section is a little, it's fine, but yeah. you know, love the art of the Minotaur. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and then campaign concepts. The, so, oh, uh, wait, the biggest network for organized D and D play is the RPGA. <laughs> uh, well, remember this is definitely 15 years old. Woof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So so right. Uh, listen, listen to this. The internet is a goldmine for an isolated DM in need of new players. Using the search engine of your choice, you can quickly find any number of D and D and general role playing sites. Many of which maintain dedicated player recruitment pages or forums where you can post recruitment ads. The hell you say? <laughs> so you're telling me I can go on uh, Alta Vista? And find someone's yes. GeoCity yes. site. If that cool. is the search engine of your choice. Awesome. <laughs> oh, or you think I should Bing it? Can I Bing it? You know, I'm going to go on Ask Jeeves and Ask Jeeves, how do I find a awesome. D&D? Awesome. Very good. <laughs> uh, anyway, time warp, time warp back to 2020. <laughs> Uh, go through some pages with some dancing hamsters, and then we get to <laughs> Ooh, torch animation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, look, look. Then there's the panda mushroom. So you know we oh can just God. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so a little campaign section about the concept, how you're going to close it. Do you want to make race and class uh, designations? Do so you have requirements for those? Are you going to are you going to uh, restrict the choices that your players can make? You know, the, the, this is, is a decent section. It's basically just saying, look, when you're planning a campaign, here's some things you need to think about. Uh, nothing in there specifically calls out to me to say, this is the most wonderful advice I've ever read. And nothing calls out to me and says, wow, that's a really missed the mark. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know for, for guys like you and me, this is, Mostly stuff we've known for so long we can't mm-hmm. remember not knowing it. Right. Um, well, so here's the thing, right? So, and I was going to wait to ask this at the end, but he, but it feels to me like all this stuff could have been in the first DMG. Uh, yeah, page count notwithstanding. Right, right, but no, no, but so you switch some things out, right? Because look, uh, if if I'm a new DM and I got to wait for four years to get this book that tells me the stuff that a newbie DM needs. You're going right? to come after Enrique on air like this? Rough, <laughs> dude. Rough. Well, you know, last time I talked to him, he told me I was old, so I have to get him back. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. Uh, disclaimer, uh, no Enriques were hurt during the filming of this. Um, but you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like this information is great if I'm just trying to learn how to do it, but it's in the DMG too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, in terms of what, uh, like the goal of these chapters, I 100% agree 
is what the third ed DMG needed to be achieving. Right. No question in my mind. Uh, some of the advice is maybe something you could save till a second book because, um, okay, you don't need to answer these questions until you do have a couple of sessions under your belt. Fine. But yeah, the, the, uh, explanatory and in some cases persuasive goals here absolutely mm-hmm. are DMG one content, the book that is creating DMS. Yes. No, no argument. Um, right. Like marketing your DMG one to existing DMs and marketing your DMG twos and later to new new GMs is patently insane. Right. They won't find out about that book, and mm-hmm. nothing about the title will help them. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, now we're into a marketing thing, though, right? Because I think the idea is we're going to make this book and they're going to buy it. Yep. Um, in anybody who plays third edition is going to buy all the books we release full stop. We don't need to think any more about it, but that's so wrong. No, I know. I'm, but I'm just saying like, this is, yes, I'm not saying that's true. (laughs) I'm not advocating for it. I'm saying that felt like, no, yeah, the strategy. Right. right? So I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Anyway. So we can move on from this, but I, I just, I, the thing is that, so, you know, once again, I feel like I'm lambasting this book, but the book is really good. It is good. Except that it's the DMG two. Like right. so much of this should be in the DMG one right? yep. or, or in some book that says, Hey, you want to be a dungeon master? Start with this book. Yep. Right. You've been playing for a year now and you, you want to, you know, stick your toe into the pool of dungeon mastering. Read this book here. Well, and like, uh, I, I understand that there are, uh, real pressures that require, uh, DMGs to not have another signature or two of pages in them. Um, uh-huh. but man, that is honestly selling the whole hobby short to not at least go one signature higher and you know maybe you you do have a an audience base where a lot of them can skip that chapter of 32 pages on how to do this thing for the very first time mm-hmm. but you're laying such good groundwork for the survival of your company and hobby right and here's the thing right this is something that is a little bit, I feel a little bit differently about it in fifth edition, not a great deal differently, but a little bit. And only because in fifth edition, there are so many other ways that a person can get this information, right? There's a bazillion blogs. I will now market for the newbie DM <laughs> who writes a blog about how to be a new DM and do things. I will, I will stump for a hundred other websites. One by Brandis Stoddard is pretty good. I hear. Thank you. Um, and <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so that's places to get this kind of information with tips and tricks. And here's how you do things. Right. And also actual play. You can actually see these things, right? And there are a ton of YouTube uh, videos on how to be a great GM. And there's a ton of streamers that that stream 
ha- you know, their tips. Uh, Mike Shea, Sly Flourish, he does a, a prep session once or once a week or once every two weeks or something, where he literally just goes through and talks through his own prep for his game. So if you're new or you don't understand how to do it or you're not sure if you like his style, that's the perfect place to go to learn that, right? Yep. Um, and he sold a book about you know the what is it lazy dungeon master's guide or something right lazy lazy dms what is it sly flourishes oh, return of the lazy dungeon master it's on my shelf so right where it's all about how to prep your game if you're new or if you don't really know exactly what to do so for fifth edition it's a little bit different because there's so many other types of media out there that are readily accessible but this was written in 2005 and there weren't so many highly accessible ways to get this information if you wanted to be a new if you wanted to be a dungeon master and you had never done it before yeah i'm still kicking myself for not starting my blog back then <laughs> yeah could have been a contender sam mm-hmm. think of all the spare time i had yeah i know but you didn't know right you never know how much time you have until you don't have it anymore that is accurate you never know how much time you don't have until you have kids yeah Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how the hell did I survive before with all that free time? What did I accomplish? <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> uh, house rules or expanded rules. Pre- I mean, you know, again. Yeah, th- th- this is th- this is very session zero stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, session zero hasn't really been invented as a term yet, but mm-hmm. this chapter is about it. Right. It's about that just communicating the foundations kind of stuff. Um, decide a thing, sell it to the players, go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is also before the great swath or great wave of – not sure which one of those is better to use in, as a thing, <laughs> but it's, it's, um, it, it's before the huge tidal wave of, hey, let's be more collaborative. Because right. when you read this book, this book is written to the DM. Oh, yeah. And, you know, uh, for example, the uh, part on connecting characters to the character concept says, if you're using a party concept, quiz the players to find out how their PCs fit into it. Let's say you're running a game in which the PCs are reformed criminals who now serve as a major city's constabulary. You'd ask each player why the PC became a criminal and how the NPC police captain inspired him to reform. Like, that's not bad advice. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, except it forgets the part in the beginning where you didn't just decide, hey, you made your PCs, but guess what? <laughs> You're all reformed criminals. Well, sure. That, right. that absolutely like express your foundational idea. Mm-hmm. Then right. they make characters. Right, right. And that's in here somewhere, but it's written very, very much to the DM as a separate entity from the players. And I think with a lot of the push for more collaborative types of play since third edition, there's more of an idea of, hey, this is our game and we're all having fun with it and we all need to agree that we're going to have fun and we can agree on the constraints of the actual game that we're playing. You know, what kind of game are we going to play? What, what type of themes is it going to have? And 
are the PC's backgrounds going to all be connected this way? And that can be a conversation more so than a DM dictating that information. I'm not saying that doesn't still occur because I'm sure it does. And I'm not saying it's wrong because if that's how the DM wants to do it, fine. If they can get players, great. But I think the language has evolved in a way that, that if this book was written now, it would be written from player to player, right? That's As we're all players of the game and not here's the DM's information. Here's how you, you know, interrogate your players to find out why this works. So thumbscrews, yes, or thumbscrews, no? <laughs> well, so it depends. <laughs> right. Thumbscrews with consent. I yes. get it now. Yes, yes. See. <laughs> thumbscrews are a great way of obtaining consent. Nope, nope, not right. That's not it. <laughs> well, as long as you have a safe word, who am I to say? <laughs> wow. This has been... <laughs> This has been the third edition DMG2. Okay, so then we go to medieval society. So, all right, uh, here's another case where this section kind of comes out of the blue. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, I mean, it does have the sort of nice benefit of uh, taking me back to the 2A DMG um, just because it is trying to acknowledge, you know, real world history so that you can adapt it to your setting if that's mm-hmm. appropriate for you. And I appreciate what they've done and they even have a little, you know, equality in history sidebar. Yeah. It talks about, you know, how modern sensibilities are more egalitarian and and have uh theoretically fewer imposed rules about the behavior of men and women and that if you run your D&D setting that way, that has certain consequences, good or bad, depending on your point of view, I suppose. Yeah. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Um, and uh, that you need to think about that. For example, I'll give you an example that it states. It says, uh, a, a world with full legal and social equality between the sexes would differ significantly from the Middle Ages. The eldest royal heir would ascend to the throne regardless of gender. So it's not just the male heir. And, and then it gives us, a, you know, heroes performing great feats would not be rewarded with marriages to fair maidens because, hello, the fair maiden has a choice, right? Um, and so if you plan this entire world and you plan it to be more equal, but then you still have it set up as having all of these sort of tropes, these medieval tropes that we use, it's gonna feel it's gonna feel like something doesn't match, right? Sure. And I, I like this sidebar right up until the last paragraph when it says this. It says, most players want you to strike a balance between freedom from sexism and historical flavor. Okay, that's fine. Play it by ear. Fudge is necessary. Don't look too hard for at the contradictions. Okay, fine. That's fine. When a realistic portrayal of historical sexism would annoy or depress your players, tone down the history. Perfect. Great advice. When the details of an equal opportunity world seem too modern or out of step with the medieval atmosphere, revert to history. Okay, that's fine. Then it says, here's where my problem comes in. In general, players dislike having sexist rules applied to themselves. That I agree with. But don't mind so much when those rules involve NPCs. I disagree with that statement. Okay. Because if you have a a bunch of women at your table role-playing... And 
every other woman in your setting is being, a, you know, treated like a serf with yep. no rights and no power, they could get uncomfortable with that. <laughs> Don't assume yeah. that it's okay that you're doing it to an NPC just because you're not doing it to a PC. Yeah, for sure. I that's my that's my only problem with that. That's my problem with that. Otherwise, I get their intent. It's a great little sidebar. But I read that and that that sentence like made a it pinged my brain and it was like, no, 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 no. That's great advice maybe in nineteen ninety five or nineteen eighty five. It's not great advice in now today. And it yeah. might not have might not have been great advice in two thousand five. Yeah, I mean I, I, I played in a um a Pendragon campaign for, for years mm-hmm. where the the questions of uh, sexism for female knights was a major campaign issue and mm-hmm. you know, half the players in the game were women mm-hmm. right and, and so they were uh, several of them were playing male knights and mm-hmm. then one was playing uh, a, a female knight who passed as male in order to right. like mm-hmm. deal with that and right. so it was a, a huge campaign question and uh like the game didn't lean really heavily on, you know, sexism in um, the society of the Britons in general because mm-hmm. no, right? Like that wasn't the fun we were looking to have. But there was a lot of uh, tension around uh, an order of female knights that was operating in secret, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and very fortunately, none of these women friends of mine. Burned me to the ground for my character's <laughs> uh, stance on that, which uh, was just my character being himself, and right. they understood where he was coming from, and I wasn't just being a horrible jerk, which is mm-hmm. the usual. It's just my character meaning. Right. <laughs> I know. I I get what you're saying. Right. Also, I have very forgiving friends, and I want to thank them for that. In case right. they're listening. Well, I mean, there is a case to be made for exploring those types of ideas as long as everybody at the table is in agreement and feels safe with each other. Like, I'm not, I don't think that's bad, right? I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is to put as advice into this book that it's okay to be a little sexist to the NPCs as long as you don't do it to the PCs, that's not great advice. Yeah. So, you know. Now, they do then call out, they say, you know, provided any discrimination is presented as a normal element of a stable society, and it's not brutal or demeaning. Well, you know what? Treating all the women like serfs just because they don't have a penis, that is demeaning Sure. <laughs> on its face. Sure. So, you know, I, I get what they're doing. They're straddling a line, but that one particular very last sentence in the sidebar is not the greatest advice. But, you know, I mean, it's still well done right yeah, the soul has section is still well done so once again I'm, I'm nitpicking because everything else is so good right yeah i mean you could if you if you're thinking of it as a specific case of the general statement you can do lots of bad things to npcs that your pcs will not blink too hard at absolutely not happening sure. to them that mm-hmm. is accurate right this yes. is a special case where i i agree with you though i i think mm-hmm. that um I think that players are going to still identify with NPCs who share major traits with them. Right. Especially with their 
you know, their real selves. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So anyway, um, so then it, it goes on to talk about the place of monarchs and lords and knights and footmen. And, you know, remember, this is like four or five pages on how you have a, you know, how you format a, a medieval setting, basically. Um, and it's fine. It's good. This is the kind of stuff that if if this was my first DMG, I would have eaten this section up. Because this, to me, is the same as you know, reading the first edition DMG and reading about sages and what their what their areas of expertise are, and reading about you know the feudal society, and you know, even though some of that is really horrible, but <laughs> you know, oh, I oh, love yeah, that man. stuff. You like, know, if, I loved that stuff. If I had been uh, twelve in two thousand five when I was getting you know all of my D anD D books mm-hmm. instead of uh, twenty four. Uh, <laughs> Like yeah, I would have been so all about this because getting me to devour pages of uh, medieval history, both sort of uh, big important battles and kingdom shifts history, and also mm-hmm. social history, uh, is as easy now as it was then. Right. Um, <laughs> like this would have been my favorite thing. No, no question. Right. I would have read this, and I'd still be able to you know, quote it. Uh, chapter and verse. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Me too. I, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. That's exactly how I would feel about this section. It's well done. It has a lot of information. It, it, it piques my interest. It's, it, it's, it's really good. Uh, what's funny about it is how much it reminds me of some of the uh, books I went through for my um, tribality series on domain management. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one of the big dividing factors in, domain management rules is how they handle fidelity to, uh, to history. Right. Um, and like some of them go really uncomfortably deep on fidelity to history. I'll right. put it right. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like how many different classes of peasants <laughs> and serfs do I need to understand just to get through right. these rules? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Four? Cool. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, that's rough. <laughs> that's really rough. Anyway. Um, um, and then, then it moves on to towns and cities. Yep. And the first thing it does is give you uh, 50 rumors and hooks that you could use. Um, yeah. I, I, I love a good rumor table. Um, yeah. I will me too. go on the record as saying I think rumor tables that have false rumors are wasting everyone's time. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, well, so I, I will amend that. Okay. I generally agree with that statement. If there's no real way for the PCs to learn that those rumors are false in a substantial, important way that isn't just a total red herring, they went off and wasted time, right? right. Like, yeah. like if there's a way for them to learn that they're false and that enables them to now trust an NPC or form a relationship with someone in power or you, you know what I'm saying? Like sure. that's okay. If that's the cause then it's not a red herring. It's just a method of making them learn about this other NPC. Yeah. But if it's just, let's have a false rumor just for false rumors sake, eh, I can give like, you know, now I'll exaggerate a true rumor. Right. But sure. Having a false rumor is not necessarily uh, the best thing. Yep. Just, Running down the rumor and discovering something boring at the end is not a great mm-hmm. session. Right. That's really where we are. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the, the 
the section on sections on people at work, um, mm-hmm. guilds and occupations. Yeah. It, it's just mm-hmm. a very good section for, as it promises, presenting towns and cities. Yeah, mm-hmm. like we're we're going to get into demographics and uh, just daily life for the non-adventuring set, and right the the kinds of people that you meet here on Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, the thing is, like, it also goes into the difference between an artisan and a craftsman. And then it it has this section where it goes through. And I wish they would have formatted this a little bit differently, but it actually tells you what a potter does, what a rug maker does, what a sail maker does, what a shipbuilder does, what a soap maker does, what a tanner does, what a tinker does. Now, some of those, you're probably thinking, well, well oh, gee, what does a rug maker do? Makes rugs. Okay. But... It talks about, okay, that's fine, but wealthy people collect expensive rugs. They import them from great distances, right? If you have a rug maker who is, you know, making an artistically important type of rug, that person is going to be very different from a person who's making rugs for the peasants, right? Like, for sure. so, you know, it, so it has this nice little, you know, once again, this is very evocative of that whole section in the DMG one where it talks about, you know, who's in, you know, what kind of NPCs know what and who has what skill and what do these words mean? And I, I like those kinds of sections because it feels like it's going to be able to help you round out the town once again, because that's the point of this chapter. Yep. Um, hundred instant NPC agendas. Great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Always yep. good to have this kind of thing. And it's, it says agendas. It really just means uh, super rapid traits. Like, mm-hmm. here's right. one trait to bring forward, make that NPC memorable. Go. Mm-hmm. Really weird art. Page 96. The shopkeeper isn't overly impressed by the treasure an adventurer wants to sell. <laughs> they both look very mad at each other. It, yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> the, the cast of their eyebrows is yeah. giving me weird flashes of uh, um, uh, Dark Dungeons that Jack Chick track. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, boy. Wow, that's going way back. I don't want to be Elf Star anymore. <laughs> um, so after the uh, the wonderful table of uh, of of NPC agendas, yeah, they should have just called that Attitudes or something. You have some laws and punishments information. Once again, the whole point of this chapter is to create a town. So, yep. okay, they're they're doing that. They talk about the different trial and sentencing and how you administer justice. Right, okay. and, and they Fair. they kind of undersell the fact that this is actually about stakes. Mm-hmm. This right. is about yeah. like how wrong can things go when you're in right. a town or city, like that. Mm-hmm. The reason that you need this is to show that actions have consequences. Right. And they have consequences that you can't shrug off or expect Mm -hmm. to be okay without Mm -hmm. just doubling down and burning down the whole town. Right. Not that any D&D party would ever do that. I've never heard of such a thing. (laughs) I always gravitate to the sidebar because I want to see what their quick, you know, thought is about something. And they have this one about law across borders. Yeah, And uh, it says, adventurers who have declared fealty in one kingdom can expect fair treatment in any similar land that respects the rule of law. Legal principles and obligations extend beyond borders 
even when the overall authority does not. So brigands who commit crimes in one city return to their homes in another kingdom can expect to be arrested and prosecuted by authorities there. Uh, maybe. That's that's stretching credibility uh, a bit. Yeah, I feel like... So I stopped reading the sidebar at that point because, yeah. <laughs> because I was like, no, not in my game. <laughs> right. And there's also so, some real issues of just uh, the idea of the border like, right. as it, sort of the, the modern like surveyor's line in the sand that we have. Mm-hmm. That is not mm-hmm. how that worked, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, that's a that's a miss one. Some of these uh, sidebars are hit and miss. That's a miss for yep. me. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a no for me. We're playing a and d idol. That's a no. That's right. A no. Well, we're, we're prying the eyes out of a and d idol. Yes. Got it. Yes. <laughs> that is true. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then they then they go into the building a city um, on rock and roll. Uh, that's right. We, that's where we did build it there. Yes. Yes. Then we took an airplane. Um, and then it talks about geography and talks about all of the things you should be taking into account, you know, how many buildings, filling in the details, etc. One really interesting part to this is they go so far as to tell you the percentage of buildings that should be of what type. So for example, it talks about residences should be about 30% of the buildings in your town administrative things like town halls and militia barracks and city centers should only be 5%. Entertainment should be 5%. Industrial, you know, people who make things should be 10%. Nobility, their houses and villas should be 5%. 10% of the building should be shops. 15% slums, public works, 5%. Travel, like inns and shipyards and messengers and stables should be 10%. And farms should be 5%. Like I found this really interesting that they actually put a percentage there. Yeah, I think and I, I really wonder- appreciate that. Yeah, I, I do too. And I was wondering though. Now, okay, I'll, I'll preface this with I did not do the research to find out the answer to this question, but I was wondering if one of them actually, if the, whoever was doing this actually, like researched, you know, uh, city planners and 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 medieval city planning and stuff like that to, to actually get these numbers or did they just, I, you know, give it a spitball. They eyeballed it and said, yeah, okay, <laughs> this makes a good D and D game. 15% of the town is slums. Well, you know, I'm going to say that anything that rounds off to 5% so consistently is at minimum based on eh, it's fine. Well, sure. I mean, but, but how close does it hew, right? Did they actually like? I just want to know if there was any real research that went into that, right? I mean, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's just my brain went weird on that one. So, it also gives us information about how many buildings should be in the town and whether it's crowded, standard, or sparse. Like these are actually the reason I like this section is this is workable stuff. I could use this page. I could yep. use this page in fifth edition D anD D right now. Oh yeah. Um- I mean, a lot of this this chapter is in pretty good shape to mm-hmm. just be applied to five E directly. Right. Uh, right. Even the business about ranks, just mm-hmm. that's rules that are new in this chapter. So who cares? Right. Yeah. So um, then it has some magical events. It gives you an example of some massive magical events and uh, several examples, actually. And then that's the end of the chapter. So unless you want to discuss anything else in there, 
I mean, the burning eye of uh, Al Galtra. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I actually saw that trilogy of movies you just mean recently. Sauron? Yeah, that would be the one. <laughs> that's that's not shy, and I don't think it should be. It's great. Anyway, these are all just great as sort of. Do you want to run a D and D campaign that is a disaster porn film? Mm-hmm. That's kind of great, actually. Yeah. Um, whether you can fix it at the end or not, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but right. the more you can focus on, this is a story about you know people facing r- real threats that they can't just stab. That's that's mm-hmm. good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, the only thing I wish this had that it doesn't seem to have is this section has a hard time explaining how you could take this two page event that it's describing and the trigger and how to stop it. And you can turn that into an entire campaign and it's okay if you don't know how it's going to turn out or what happens in the middle. Like, sure. You know, it's presented as, Oh, here's this magical event. Like, Oh, it's one time. And it's going to be one quest to resolve this, but you could turn this thing into an eight session campaign arc. Yeah. Right. Like, I, and so I feel like it doesn't do a great job of that, but other than that, that's my only nitpick about this. Cause some of these are, are really good. And the, uh, the killing frost of uh, Gularok, uh, um, uh, oral. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that they don't have the, um, the, the death plague of, you know, a, a Sararak, maybe. <laughs> right, yes. It seems mm-hmm. a bit of a, a oversight. Right, uh, right. <laughs> of course, yes. Or, mm-hmm. or just the spell plague of Fourth mm-hmm. of Forgotten Realms. Yep, right? yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, they, they've done a really good job mm-hmm. of hanging adventures and uh, whole settings on these kinds of major uh, phenomena. Mm-hmm. Phenomenon. Do, 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 do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> man, we're dorks. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they've done a really good job of that. Um, and so, like, this is this is sort of a really good start. Um, mm. And you know, I don't expect them to successfully present a whole campaign in a page and a half or whatever. Mm. Um, but it's interesting, sort of how this model does get mapped forward into um, yeah, actually we're going to publish whole campaigns on this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess that's what I'm right. really trying to say. Yeah. I mean, and I agree with you that I don't necessarily expect them to say, you know, here's how a whole campaign would go in a page and a half or in two pages, but they should have a little paragraph at the end that says, Hey, this could be more than just one quest. You could turn this into a whole campaign framework. You could use this as a whole campaign framework. Here's how, you know, and with two sentences of example, right. Or two sentences of suggestion or something that that's the only thing I think it's missing. Other than that, it's good. Yep. Um, and then, then we get to the chapter four, which is salt marsh. And literally it's just a chapter that describes the town and has a map with numbered locations. Yeah, I, I know I don't have, have anything useful to say a, about this without just doing a site by site comparison. Right. To so I, Ghost of Salt I don't Marsh. think that's necessary. But I, my comment was going to be, 
uh, I half of me loves this and half of me is like, why is this in here? Because sure. I understand it's a, it's a worked example. It's far, far more detailed than what they get you to make in the previous chapter in the city building part. Like it's, it, this literally is just so that they could say, Hey, you know, here's this book and it, and it has this cool adventure location that you can, you know, make a home base for your PCs in. Right. Like, but other than that, there's really no reason for it to be in this book. There really isn't. I mean, some of the named buildings come with adventure hooks and there's a couple of maps like it, it, but I don't, I don't know. I, I think that it really has to just be seen as um, a, a buy it today, use it today kind of, you can run yeah. a campaign right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And as a application of everything they've been teaching you in the book so far. Yeah. Uh, the section of notable NPCs has to be, the most insane presentation of its idea <laughs> that yeah. could be imagined <laughs> just just because it breaks down literally every inhabitant of mm-hmm. this uh, how many thousands uh, right. was it like 5,000 person city or something like that and it's right at the front I mean it's like <laughs> let's start by telling you the, the roster of everybody in town yeah uh, Population uh, three uh, three thousand eight hundred fifty, yeah. And we can now tell you the character <laughs> classes, right, of every single one of them, and the mm-hmm. alignments and names for a surprisingly large number. Right. Uh, whoa. Yeah, but that's because in third edition, everybody was a character class. Oh, for sure, for sure. And a lot of these people would just be statted as commoners now sure. that's fine or mm-hmm. knight or veteran or whatever right it's just right it's a lot that's all i'm really saying yeah yeah no i don't oh, totally i totally agree with that assessment and it's right up front it's like here you go here's your list of you know uh yeah i i don't i'm not saying that the ch- the chapter four is bad yeah right like yeah. the information and it's great it has venture hooks it has all you know all the you know has everything that you could need as a real adventure location. I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all. I just think it's misplaced in the book. It's whatever, but you know, okay. Anyway. So, so folks, that's going to be it for the, let's say seventh, probably seventh, uh, (laughs) day of the 12 days of additional wars. Look, it's 2020. We can't keep track of the days. (laughs) I certainly don't know what day it is now. Yeah. Uh, but that's mostly the fine glass of Ruby Port speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get one of those. Wait a minute. Where's uh, my waiter? That is certainly not my fault. My waiter is still <laughs> on his way to you. <laughs> He's social distancing. Um, <laughs> so, um, so right. So, Sam, where can people find you on these here internets? Uh, on these here internets, you can use the web browser of your choice and the search engine of your choice to go to rpgmusings.com. That's HTTP colon slash slash, just kidding. Uh, RP- <laughs> www. Um, <laughs> you're you're, you're uh, delivering that in letters and not numerals? Get out. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, and then uh, you can also find me on Twitter at DM Samuel. And, jeez, uh, that's all I'm going to say tonight. Where can people find you? 
I'm on Twitter at Brenda Stoddard. You can uh, also find me on tribality.com. And my personal blog is brendastoddard.com. My Patreon is Brendis Stoddard. And we will see you next time for day eight or nine or, or one of those. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Wear your masks, folks. Wear your mask. Oh, my Lord. It is the beginning of December when we record this, and yes. stuff is not okay. That's right. Wear your masks. Wash your hands. Bye, y'all.